0: Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through the end of the chapter here um, as we take a break from our series in Acts to talk about the Gospel on Father's Day. I'm going to read verse 18 to begin our time together. So if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here and hear of Jesus over and over and over again. But God, I pray that we would not lose sight Of what it means to speak the name of Jesus, to declare, yes, our sins have been crucified to his cross with him. And yes, he has been raised to life for us. And yes, he uh, promises us eternal life in him that will not go away from the moment we believe. Oh God, I pray we would delight in the gospel together. And God, the men here today would be encouraged with the gospel. in Christ's name we pray amen
1: you know you prayed for this right as a question my mother asked me as we looked out in the backyard one day and it was a sight to behold and that's no understatement my dad was in the backyard mowing wearing a sleeveless shirt plaid shorts tall, fuzzy red socks, steel-toed boots, and the biggest headphones the world had ever seen. And she looked at me and asked me the question and said, you prayed for this, you know that, right? As if to say that that was all my fault. You see, in in my home, sometimes the word dad, the word father, it can be a confusing word. And it's not because we succumb to the pressures of culture and gender issues, and, and we're trying to be more relevant or anything like that but it's because the the word dad in my home can refer to two different men. See, like many of you, you've unfortunately had to endure the problems of divorce. My parents divorced when I was at a young age. Uh, To be perfectly honest and frank with you, I don't have one single memory of my mom and dad being together in the home. My earliest memories are of my mother and I living in my grandparents' house where I had no dad in sight. Now, my grandfather tried to fill in that role at that time, and he did an amazing job. I'm incredibly thankful for who he was and the way he tried to step into that role. But he was still no dad. I would go to school, and I would hear of other kids talking about their dad as if their dad was their hero. He could do no wrong. Superman ain't got nothing on my dad, they would say. And as a young boy who didn't have a dad, I I wanted that. I wanted to know what it was like for a dad to be a hero to you. Now I would have occasional time with my dad, Tom was his name, maybe about four days a year on Father's Day, his birthday, my birthday, and Christmas. We would see each other maybe one day, a year, two days a year, maybe four. And so at a young age, maybe six or seven, I began to pray every night. As my mom would lay me down into bed and we would pray, I began praying every night God, I want a dad and a baby brother, but one out of two ain't too bad. (laughs) As luck would have it, a couple years after I started praying that prayer every night, my mom was in classes at EKU and she said there was a night where she looked up and this man walked in. He was wearing maroon shorts and a red shirt. She (laughs) said, God told her in that moment, that's the man you're going to marry. And she says, no way. He can't even match his clothes. How is he going to take care of me and my son? There's no way that's going to happen. Little does she know, my dad, Patrick Fusen, also saw her that night. And God said, that's the woman you're going to marry. And so they did what two people would naturally do every night after learning and being revealed who their spouse was going to be. They spent the entire semester avoiding each other. <laughs> well, eventually they did talk. Eventually they married. And God answered my prayers. But this became a whole new ball game then as I learned that there were certain social pitfalls I would have to learn to navigate and balance between a dad named Tom and a dad named Patrick. For instance, you can't go to one dad and tell the other what a great Christmas or birthday gift the other had just given you. Or you can't look at one and say, man, I just had the best time with dad out fishing. Why do you never take me fishing? Or perhaps the best was the day when unbeknownst to any of my parents... I looked at my dad, Tom, and said, hey, I want to change my last name to Fusim. That was a fun conversation. But even as a young boy, wanting to change my last name. there was a reason for that. It's because I realized there was something different about Patrick than there was about Tom. The way that he cared for my mom, and even when they had disagreements that they would never escalate, he would always care for her and leave the home well. But most importantly, the thing that I noticed the most about him was as Brad Paisley sings, he was the dad he didn't have to be. He spent so much time caring for me and for my sister and providing for our home and our family, teaching so many lessons such as a work ethic. Whether it was spending hot summer day five gallons five-gallon buckets full of gravel to throw into the bottom of a house to pour concrete on, or whether it was digging out a new spot for a basketball goal while he sat in the shade and sipped on lemonade and talked on the phone. Or as if it was, whether it was my paper route, working in the screen printing shop, working at JCPenney, whatever job I had, he taught me there is no excuse not to work. God has made us to work. It's a gift. And we're going to work hard to provide for those we love. Even to this day, if you ask him what his deepest fear is, it's that his family would end up on the side of the road in a cardboard box. So jokingly, from time to time, we'll send him a cardboard box as a gift what I also noticed is even in those moments when he was working hard to provide and protect us, he was always there for me. For instance, the day when I got home to deliver the newspapers after school, there weren't newspapers on the front door. They'd already been delivered. And I walked inside knowing my dad is not one to let excuses be made for work not to be done. I asked where they were. And it was then that he had the unenviable task of sitting me down and telling me that my dad, Tom, had made front page news for misconduct he had allegedly committed in his job. And he had taken it upon himself to deliver the newspapers and tell me face to face so I didn't have to find out through a newspaper. It's because he cared for me. He cared for my last name. And he worked hard to protect me from that. Where I think of the day I got married, how I stood in the back of the church, minutes from the wedding getting started, And I had a voicemail, and it was from Tom, who said he would not be coming to the wedding that day. Now, I had thought long and hard about asking Patrick to be best man at my wedding that day because he truly was the best man of my life. Now, I'm very thankful for Aaron King sitting back there who was best man, but all I needed in that moment was for my dad to tell me, it's going to be okay. This wedding is still worth celebrating. Even though I don't want you to move to Georgia, and he had made that perfectly clear, he was still there to celebrate. And to be a best man. And that's exactly what he told me. Or I think of the day just two years ago. Where I got a phone call in the morning that Tom had passed away. I still cared for my dad even though we didn't have a great relationship. As a matter of fact I hadn't talked to my dad in over a year. But the last time he and I talked. I went to his house. I sat down with him. And I said dad we've got some business to take care of. I wanna let you know that for most of my life I've been angry with you. I wanna let you know that for most of my life I've harbored anger against you, and that's not true, or that's not good. And I wanna ask for your forgiveness. And I wanna ask for your forgiveness because Jesus has shown me forgiveness, and I want you to know that's available for you as well. And we sat for an hour or so, talked about the gospel. I gave him my forgiveness, he asked for it, I gave it, he gave me his. He said he believed in Jesus, and he just wasn't really sure how to go about living a Christian life with all the mistakes he had made. And I offered love, and I said, I want to help you with that. We had a great conversation, this last one I had with him. But even on that day, Patrick didn't know what to say, but he was there. It's what mattered most in that moment. A few weeks later, we would celebrate Father's Day. And that was a first for me in many ways. It was my first father's day without Tom, but it was also my first father's day with my son. First father's day I'd ever had as a father. Again, he didn't know what to say. It was a hard day, but he was there. And on that day, I sat and held my son, and I thanked God for a man to model gospel manhood that had raised me so that I can pass that down to my own son. So as we looked out the back window, my dad, my dad, now in midair, still fully clothed down to the fuzzy red socks and steel toe boots, about to jump into the pool, the question echoed in my ears. You know this. You know you prayed for this, right? This is your fault, right? I thought to myself, <laughs> yes, yes, I did pray for this. And I am so thankful that God answered his prayer beyond any measure I could have hoped for or thought of. Patrick, I love you, and I thank you for being my dad.
0: Amen. Well, many of us can resonate with that story in our lives where God provides two men. Uh, one who maybe is not all they need to be for us as a father, uh, and then he provides a better man. But it's not just Joshua's story of God providing a better man for us. Uh, It's the story of all of us here today. And and we see it very clearly in Romans chapter 5. We see the story of two men in our lives. We see the story of Adam, and we see the story of Christ. And the story of the gospel for us here today is that God has provided for us a better man. In response to the sins of one man, God provides a better man. And we begin to see that in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, where the apostle Paul says, "...therefore..." Just as sin came into the world through one man, if you haven't realized, this is a sermon part that may have thrown you off the introduction there. We're in the sermon now, right in the middle of it. That was counted as time to the sermon. I'll try to finish on time. But just as sin came into the world through one man, which is Adam, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. The story of Adam and us in Adam begins with sin coming into the world. Sin is anything that opposes the right and good character of God. And God created the world to display his rightness. God created the world to display his goodness. And yet Adam doesn't trust the rightness of God. He doesn't trust the goodness of God. And he disobeys the command God gave in the beginning not to eat of the fruit. God gave that command to Adam to display his goodness. Trust me, I'm right, I'm good. And yet Adam disobeys saying, no, you're not. You're not right. You're not good. I know better. And because of this we see in verse 12, death comes into the world. Death, the heart of death in the world is to be separated from God. Again, separated and rejecting the goodness and rightness of God and that is the path Adam chooses in the garden. He is going to separate himself from the goodness and rightness of God. And so he begins to experience this death in this place where God created goodness and life and his rightness is displayed. Adam rejects that, but we see in verse 12, then death spreads to all men because we all sin. We all follow the first man, Adam, in choosing to go our own way and to say, God, you don't know best. You're not right. You're not good. That's what sin is. And in response to that, God separates us from himself. We see that in the garden where uh, where, where the first Created beings are separated from the tree of life. They're banished from the garden. What's going on there? They're being banished from the goodness of God in the garden. They are experiencing death and they will physically die. But all of this death, separated from God, separating ourselves from God, choosing our own way. Ultimately, it is consummated in eternal death to be eternally separated from God. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, in flaming fire, God says, He will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. They're separated from God. And on those who do not obey the gospel, the response to death and separation from God they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And notice the way it's described. Notice the way hell, judgment, eternal death is described. Separate it away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. So, hell is not just about fire, it is about that to express the just judgment of God eternally under the wrath of God. At the heart of hell is an eternal. Never ending separation from the goodness and power and authority of God. And that's what Adam chose for us in the garden. And that's what we choose for ourselves. And notice verse 13, there was sin in the world before the law. So you may respond, okay, there's sin in the world, but can't we obey God? Yes, he's given us the law. But notice, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so from Adam to Moses, you have men who continue this cycle of sin and death. Verse 14, death reigned. There is more sin. There is more death. There is more choosing to disobey God. There is more being separated from God. From Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Even though we don't sin in the same way Adam sins, we still reject the rightness of goodness of God and goodness of God and separate ourselves from Him. Notice the text continues. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So we get to the law of Moses. And God reveals himself in what we would describe, the Ten Commandments that summarize the law. And what does God say? I am holy, you must be holy. And so you have to obey me as a holy God, and yet we choose not to obey him. And what Paul is saying is that was going on from Adam all the way to Moses. Even though sin was not counted in that way. Even though we may not have understood this is a personal attack on the holy God of the universe. As Moses explains, that's what was happening. That's what was happening. What Paul is saying at Moses is sin began to be counted. It began to be seen. It's kind of like baseball. There was a time where stats were not recorded in baseball history. And there were amazing players that played during that time, but their stats were not recorded. What Paul is saying here is when Moses came along, your stats as a sinner began to be recorded. And you read the law and you say, this is what God requires, but I can't do it. And what God is saying is, you have some great stats as a sinner. It's this, 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 this. You can't do it. And that's what Moses says. And here Paul says, in this way, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. What, what, what Paul is saying here is that Adam was our leader. Adam was our representative. Just as we would say today, Jesus represents us before God on the cross, his life and death. Adam represented us in sin before God. Adam chose to sin. He was our leader into sin. And you prove every day you would do just exactly what Adam did because you sin. This is the state we are in because of the first man, the one man. We are in a state of sinning. We are in a state of choosing death over life, separating ourselves from God, headed to eternal death. Adam led us into sin. Moses defines sin, leaves us in sin. But Adam and Moses are not the end of the story. There's a better man coming. Notice verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Trespass means to step over the line, to violate the barriers. That's what Adam did. When he did it, he earned death. But notice the phrase, verse 15, free gift. God doesn't respond to the trespasses in Adam by what we deserve. He responds with a free gift. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Now, Paul here just packs a bunch of muches and mores and abundances, and he packs in this verse free gift, grace, grace, grace. And what he's trying to say here is your trespasses took you one way, sin and death, and that's what you deserve. But God doesn't respond to your sin according to what you deserve. Even though you deserve to keep going your way, He responds with grace and much more grace than your sin, much more grace than death. He packs in grace and it is not like your trespass. It is not like the sin. You don't get what you deserve with God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the gospel, you don't get what you deserve, you get something not like what you deserve sin and death. You get grace. Isn't it amazing? God responds to our sin with grace. He responds to our sin with grace, a free gift. In his son, you don't deserve Jesus dying for you, and yet in grace he dies for you. You don't deserve to be given the righteousness of Christ. You deserve to be left in your guilt, but God responds with grace. You don't deserve to know life. You deserve to be left in death, but he responds to death with grace. It's summed up here with grace. But tragically, as we read this, and we hear what it means that God responds to our sin with grace, the tragedy this morning is that many of us here aren't responding to our sin the same way God responds to our sin. We think it's more spiritual to respond to our sin with more guilt. That's what we deserve. We're guilty. We need to be condemned more. What we deserve is condemnation. And so many of us here today, we spend our days as a Christian thinking we are more godly by working up feelings of guilt and condemnation. We constantly reflect on our past. We're constantly telling ourselves the story of our deepest, darkest sins and rehearsing those in our head because we think before God that's the way He wants us to respond. Just miserable human beings who can't be happy because we're sinners. No! He responds to your sin with grace. Yes, you're a sinner, and you deserve hell, and you deserve death, and you must know that, but you must know at the end of the story is another man full of grace for you, full of mercy for you. And you must be reminded, your sin must be a reminder Jesus is better. That's what Paul is communicating here when he says God doesn't respond like the trespass. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you something better. And so when we sin and when we understand that we are sinners, the natural response for the Christian who understands and believes the gospel isn't to run to guilt and condemnation. It's to run to the Father. You really understand your sin when it drives you to God, not away from God. Do you get that? When you really understand your sin, it is to drive you to God, not away from God. Why? Grace. Because when you sin and you understand how infinite it is, you realize you can't do anything about it. So where do you got to go? You have to sprint to the Father of grace. And so if you're here today, you, you understand in the life of a Christian, you begin to really get the gospel when your sin drives you to confession and repentance and the cross, when in your sin you feel miserable and guilty and condemned, you go, yes, I need the cross. Not I need to get away from the cross. Not I need to get away from church folks. Not I need to get away from God. You go, no, I need the cross now more than ever. Look at my sin. Look at the condemnation. You don't need more of that. You need something better. Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Notice he continues to explain. And the free gift, again, grace, grace, free gift, free gift, grace. It is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following the trespass brought condemnation. Immediately Adam was condemned. Immediately the earth was cursed. Immediately they were shunned from the garden. But the free gift following many trespasses... Brought justification. is that amazing? God responds the opposite. He responds counter. He doesn't respond like condemnation, like sin and death. He responds with grace. And notice how His grace is summed up here. Justification. To be declared not guilty. There's a sharp contrast here. God does the opposite of what we think. We are headed, sin, death sin death and we think God's just going to keep going that way and God says no we're going the opposite way grace and grace and justification is it amazing you didn't do this god did it he took the story in a different direction here as paul talks about justification this is not where the trespass was leading it was leading somewhere different and it's not where many trespasses lead not to justification You're making yourself guilty as you are guilty, making yourself guilty as you are guilty, and God stops, and He says, no, I'm going to make you not guilty in Jesus. That's what the word justification means, to be declared righteous, and not just a generic righteousness, to be declared as righteous as Jesus is righteous, to be declared not guilty, because Jesus died for your sins, Because Jesus lived a perfect life, when you believe in Him, God looks on your faith. He doesn't look on your works. And He says, because of your faith in Jesus, who is righteous, you are now righteous. And it's as if you have never sinned. Think about your sin. Think about your sin, your deepest, darkest sin. Nobody here knows. Think about it. In Jesus, it's as if it never happened. Never happened. But even more, it's as if you always obeyed in Jesus because Jesus always obeyed. When you believe in him, it's as if you never sinned. You are as him, sinless, and you are as him, perfect and righteous. And so here you have one man who makes you guilty and then you have Jesus who makes you not guilty. And it's not just innocent. When you you believe in Jesus, your sins are washed, and you say, now I'm innocent. It's more than that. You are given the righteous perfection of Jesus. And so you are better than innocent. You are a perfect son who always did what the Father pleased, who, who, who the Father delights in him. That's who you are in Jesus. Again, The sad thing is we don't respond to our sin the same way God responds to our sin. Many of you are here today and you're thinking about your sin and you're spending all of your time trying to come up with some righteousness of your own. I've got to be at church. I've got to be at the Bible study. I've got to post that meme and that Christian verse on Instagram. I've got to do it. And you've got to checklist every day. I've got to cover up this life of sin. People once knew me in high school and college. And if I, can, if, I can, if I can dump enough good stuff on top of that, then I can cover it up. And people will know that I'm really a changed person and a good person. You can't do better than the righteousness of christ stop trying stop trying to work up some goodness to alleviate that guilt no you come by faith to the righteousness of jesus and you are declared not guilty he died for your sin he lived for you you can't improve on that stop trying anything other than jesus leaves you in your guilt because the very thought of some, that something is better than Jesus is sin. Think about that. I'll say it again. Anything other than Jesus only leaves you in your guilt. Because the very thought that something can be better than Jesus is sin itself. So when you think I can improve on Jesus with all my good stuff, that's sin. That's sin. When you hold this up to God and say, look, look at my Iwana badges. Look at my perfect attendance at Veritas. I knocked on the door of a complete stranger in New Orleans and shared the gospel with him. I did. I gave all the money that I made all summer to missions. And by the way, you should do all of those things. (laughs) But when you hold them up to God to cover your sin up, that's sin. It's sin, and it only separates you further from God. I might be a little long today because I got to make this point too. When you are justified in Christ, this means God isn't faking His love for you. I just want to say that to you today because, you know, we have little conflicts texting online. Maybe at work we have these conflicts and we show up the next day and it's sort of awkward and in our minds we're rehearsing how's this going to be? What are they going to do? How's this conflict going to work out? Are they still mad at me? And many of us think the same way about God. We think we show up with this relationship with God and He's faking it. He knows who you really are. He knows your past. And one day when you do it too much He's going to bring it all up and He's sort of going to blow up Because he's holding it all against you. And he's just acting. He's faking. God's not faking. He loves Jesus more than he loves anything else. And he has placed you in Jesus. That means there's no hindrance to his love for you. He's not faking. He loves you as he loves Jesus. And to doubt that is to doubt his love for Jesus. Verse 17. For if because one man's trespass death reigned, this I'm sinning, I'm moving further from God, I'm sinning, I'm moving further from God. This is death reigning through that one man. It reigns in the world. There's this spiraling in sin and death. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace. Again, go back this afternoon and highlight free gift, grace, free gift, grace, abundance, more. Sin, death, grace, abundance, grace, Free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Adam eternally separated us from God. We started down that path of eternal separation. Jesus, when we are joined to him, we are joined to eternal life in him. And so we go from this reign, this endless cycle of sin sin and death to a overabundance, life of grace. And Paul calls it here a reign in life, meaning you are no longer earning death with your sin. No, when you sin, if you're in Christ and you're trusting and believing and confessing and repenting, grace just keeps overwhelming your sin. And it keeps coming. There's no end of it. He says it's an overabundance. It will never run dry. And he explains here that is a reign of life. He's been gracious to you. He's not going to stop being gracious to you. How do you know? You are justified in Jesus. You are perfect as if you have never sinned in Jesus. And you live like that forever. It doesn't go away. He's going to keep being gracious to you. He's going to keep forgiving because of Jesus. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's disobedience... Then the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Adam represented us in sin and death and led to banishment. Jesus represents us in righteousness, which leads to life forever. We are accepted in him forever. See, some of us today would have, I, I don't like that you're saying Adam made my decision for me. You, you're having a problem with that. I don't know if I would have made the same decision, some of you are thinking. You prove that every day. I've said that. But if you don't like Adam representing you, then what do you think about Jesus representing you? You okay with him representing you? Because what Paul is saying here is this is better than we were over here. The righteousness in Jesus in the reign of life is better than the garden. It's better. And so we go on this path to Jesus, to this reign of life. Verse 20. Some of you are like, oh, we're, we're getting there now. Thought it was going to be a long day. Now the law came to increase the trespass. Now what he's saying here is the law spotlighted sin. You may not have known all of your sin, but God gives the law to his people. He makes it personal. This is between me and you to highlight and show how deep and dark your sin is. But notice this again. It's like Paul starts talking about sin and death and then he pulls on the brakes. Talks about the law and sin and he says, but where sin increased, I got to say it again. Grace abounded all the more. I can't stop talking about grace. I got to keep coming back to grace. It's okay to clap. That's great. I would clap if I wasn't the one preaching. (laughs) Not because of the preaching, but the text. (laughs) The law is the flashlight on sin. The point is, you didn't know how sinful you were until the... flashlight of the law showed. But everywhere the flashlight of the law showed, there was grace there. Sin was never alone condemning you. It was always alongside the grace of God. Not just that, the grace of God just keeps overwhelming it. Every time the flashlight of sin shows sin in your life, the flashlight of the law, there are waves of grace just coming over the top of it. And God gives us His word in the law so that we see that clearly. Verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death, Grace might also reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we move from this eternal reign in sin and death to an eternal reign of grace, justification, and life. And he says here it never ends. What Paul is trying to communicate here is after sin and death, and we are condemned by God, when God saves us, He doesn't just take us back to the garden. See, a lot of us think that way. God's taking us back to the garden. Guess what was in the garden? Law. Don't touch and don't eat. We ain't going back to the law. We're going to a better place of grace. We're going to a kingdom. We're not going to the garden with Adam. We're going to the kingdom with Jesus. And the point of the kingdom with Jesus is you can't be kicked out. You can't be kicked out of the kingdom. You can be kicked out of the garden. Can't be kicked out of the kingdom. And so you have something better than Adam even had. You have a righteousness and something better in Christ than Adam even was. I'm not just going back to innocence before sin. I'm going forward to the righteousness of Christ in the kingdom. Which means if you are covered in Christ, you can't get kicked out of heaven. You can't. You, you you can't be found guilty in heaven. Some of us think heaven, it, that's too good to be true. You'll never leave because you can't be kicked out of the presence of God. The fullness of joy, the delight of God will overwhelm you forever, and you will only experience life. You won't be the orphan child wondering, is there another place? Is there another place? Even in our hearts we feel that. We are longing in our hearts for a place to call home once we get to heaven. We will experience that in ways we never experience here. We will experience family in a way that we never experience here. All of those feelings of fatherhood and family and home that we love to experience, it will never end because in Jesus we will be found as a perfect son, loved and doted on by the Father forever. You see, the gospel isn't this neutral state before God that ignores sin and guilt. Sometimes we think about the gospel and we think, sin and guilt, it's just irrelevant now. It's not necessarily irrelevant because it shows us the amazingness of grace. Amazing. You will delight in the gospel the more and more you understand your sin. As a Christian, you're not becoming sinless. You, you're understanding your sin more. Wow, I sin in that way. Wow, my heart, heart's wired up that way. And it's overwhelmed with grace. Andrew P- Peterson in one of his songs has, has this fantastic lyric that says this, maybe it's a better thing, a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and then redeemed by love. Did you get that? Maybe it's a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken and then redeemed by love. What Adam, what Moses tell us is that, yes, we're broken, but we're headed to something better than even our brokenness before Adam. Because you know the consequences of your sin, you know grace all the more. You know what it's like to be a sinner. You know all the problems that you cause yourself through your sin. You know how you devastate others because of your sin. And what God is calling you to today is to know grace more. Come, experience grace. You know what it's like to be guilty in sin so, you, so you're amazed and you're overwhelmed with what it means to be declared sinless in Jesus. And you know the end result of your sin as we walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death together and we see bodies decay and we stand in waiting rooms and we stand at funeral homes and we weep and we cry because we feel the curse of sin. Guess what? A million years from now, we will look back on those moments and be even overwhelmed with the life we have in Christ that never ends because we once experienced death. See, that's what the gospel does. It takes all that is bad, all that we have done that is bad, and it maximizes grace. It maximizes life. I think this is an important message for men today. Kind of rushing to get to this point, and I'll try to be quick at this point. If y'all think you're hot, you should be up here. See, the gospel, this gospel is so important for dads today. I know Mother's Day can be hard and difficult, but Father's Day can be very hard for some of us in this room. All the token ties and socks and cards and Facebook posts and makes us feel good. But at the end of the day, most men here today who want to be men who honor God, Are sitting here today with regrets. Some of us are thinking about our kids and all of the issues we've dumped on our kids because we were passive, because we were impatient. Father's Day can be hard for men. Mother's Day is like, hey, we're sorry. We're sorry we're so hard to deal with, mom. We love you. And then Father's Day is like, and by the way, it's your fault, dad. And it's hard. It's difficult, especially if you're a man who thinks strategically and intentional about their life. You are overwhelmed so often with how you don't match up, and it's rooted into the world we live in. Adam led us to death. He was the representative. He was the leader, and I'm looking around in a room full of leaders, and so often we don't lead to life. We lead to death. If you're like me, I have caused the most damage to my home, me, me. Nobody else's fault. It's my fault. I'm the leader unto death in my home. Just like Adam. That's who we are. But, men, I want to say something very poignant. God doesn't respond to your failure today with more guilt and condemnation. It, sounds, it, it seems man.